Good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Morning, Joe. Good morning. I want to find morning it is too. Yeah, yeah, it has been actually. I went out yesterday evening. Thinking, oh, yeah, it'll be alright. And then there's sun beating on my neck. This isn't how it's supposed to be. We've had rain for weeks. <laughs> we probably haven't had rain for weeks. It just feels like it. How was our week? Up and down, I think. Up and down. Yeah, okay. It was okay for a bit, then I started getting a bit resentful. When I pick up one resentment, I start picking up loads. Oh, the resentment stick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I don't like this. Oh, no, then suddenly you found <laughs> another ten. Yeah, like when I get into that mood, I'm just like, it's just that overthinking and thinking about what people have said to me over the last 30 years. You start trawling through everything that's ever happened to see if you can find something you haven't dealt with. Yeah. I remember when he didn't pick me for the football team. <laughs> it was in year four. So what? Mm. And he did it again. Yeah. Where's he now? I've got absolutely no idea. I haven't spoken to him in 30 years. But hey-ho, let's get resentful about it. It's... I think sometimes we look for things to be resentful about. Definitely. We do. I do. I get scared when there's nothing to worry about or no one to be resentful against. Interesting, though, because when we were talking about dips and dealing with old behaviours when they come back, I think the resentment thing is one of the contributors to that. Because if everything's going okay, there's this kind of suspicion, isn't there? Mm. What's going to go wrong? Why isn't anything going wrong? Why have I got nothing to deal with at the moment? It's like the Titanic and expecting the iceberg to be there, going, no, there's got to be something, there's got to be something. And then you get your stick out. Oh, yeah, she did that to me. Yeah. And he said this, and he must be right, even though I've only met him once. And with the continuity thing as well, because I try to continue on an even keel and keep doing the same things to maintain some kind of stability, but I'm still expecting something to rock me sideways. Just waiting for the bubble to burst. Yeah, that's one way of seeing it. And I think that picking up random resentments is certainly part of that. It is for me. I have a sort of persona of not giving a fuck about what people think about me. Mm. But really, actually really care about what people think about me. Right. Even without drugs, it's that Jekyll and Hyde situation. I can go from really calm and placid and nice kind and loving people to super violent in like seconds <laughs> usually it'll be someone who doesn't deserve it but well, no one deserves it how big is it differ <laughs> so like my way of dealing with it now is just to sort of lock myself in my room and watch tv <laughs> yes we've heard that one before <laughs> yeah so that's <laughs> i just put on a crime drama it's got like five series and just sit there and watch that try getting out on my bike when i had my bike that was good but then picked up a resentment out in the middle of the woods, which is really hard to do. Oh, the squirrel. How did you manage that? <laughs> because I was looking for trails to ride. We were like, Canuck Chase has got these signposted trails that are made, but they're pretty tame. Been there for a long time. They're not really that fun. They're all right. But there's loads, because Canuck Chase is huge. There's loads of other trails that like locals have made. Mm. And I found these ones that some locals have made that were amazing. They've got these huge berms and big jumps and stuff. One of them had little sticks all over. So I've put my bike down and I'm just picking these sticks up so I can ride this trail, walking along it, like there's all bits of rocks and stuff. So I'm chucking them off the trail. And there's some guys walking down. He's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm moving the sticks. And he's like, no, you're fucking not. And he's like, oh, we've spent two years building this. It was the guys that were building it. Mm. And they didn't want people to ride it because they were building on it. But I couldn't tell that they were built on it. It looked built to me. 
So I've picked up a resentment with that guy straight away. And I'm part of a Facebook page called Chase Mountain Bike. And it's just people posting stuff on there about mountain bike stuff from that ride kind of chase and stuff. I sat on the train, like writing out a big thing about it. I deleted it twice and then just thought, no, <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah, so I picked up that resentment. And then from there, I just started to picked up a resentment off a guy on a train. And then from there, it was everyone. <laughs> He's got a beard. Yeah. She's carrying the wrong shopping bag. I sent my step 10 for my sponsor. Straight away, he was like, ring me tomorrow, please. Because it was just anger, a lot of anger. It takes me a little while to pull myself back from that. Yeah, does us all, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's just like thinking about, I just need to keep myself in my lane and then clean house a little bit and think about why I'm getting resentful of people. Because, so like that meeting that we would go to on a Monday, I used to get really resentful with loads of people in that meeting all the time, like constantly. And I forced myself to keep going, to practice that tolerance mm. and patience and stuff. And it really helped, because now I can just sit there and it's fine. I'm not really that bothered, but certain people, they can just, everyone deserves recovery. It's like people's shortcomings, their shortcomings, nothing to do with me, it's not my business. A lot of the time I can be okay, but then I pick up these big, massive resentments with people rather than the little small things. Mm. Yeah, it's just hard to deal with sometimes. I feel because of the way I go and how angry I get, I know that I get like that. So I just pull myself away and isolate and just try and stop. Even someone messaging me, I can read into that wrong. Text messages yeah, so yeah. easily misinterpreted. Because of like lack of punctuation yeah. and, and all that sort of stuff. I've done that a few times. I off. still use punctuation in text messages. <laughs> I insist. Voice notes are a bit better, aren't they? But I've all made out my ass. I started sponsoring someone, so I kind of need to be on a bit more of an even keel to sort of help them out. It does help helping someone else because it takes me out of myself. The thing I get that recurs intermittently is when I'm doing the right thing and I see other people not. Yeah, that's some of that gets. And that recurs. Well. Now I deal with it differently. But it's always been there, and it still recurs now because I still get that sense of how the f can he do this, <laughs> she do that? Why am I bothering to do the right thing? Of course, I have to bring it back to me ultimately, but I know that that will recur again and again over time because these things don't completely go away, do they? No, they don't go away. I find it really difficult to keep constantly bringing things back to me all the time when people are annoying me all the time and. I was with somebody yesterday and they were speaking to me about how they're going about their recovery and they mentioned something about not needing sponsor and they mentioned a few other things but I said, well, if you had a sponsor, what would you say? Well, I haven't got one. I goes, oh, right, I don't need one. So I says, well, do you not think that's dangerous grounds? No, 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 you've got it all up in here. So I stopped them at that point and I thought, if you try and advise or talk to someone, a bit of sense and they're dismissing it, I don't bother after that. I just go, oh, right, yeah, you're doing well then. I do find that I'm finding it difficult to have patience and tolerance around mm. people at the minute. It's really, really difficult because I'm just sick of bringing it back onto me all the time. And like, I should be patient and I should be tolerant, but it's hard. Sometimes people, if you're not doing anything and they're acting in a certain way or if they've done a certain thing, surely it's, like, it's down to them, isn't it? It's their responsibility and then you get a resentment over it. Like sometimes I feel like I'm okay to have that resentment because what they're doing is wrong. Mm. Mm. You know, like 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, I'm quite right to be resentful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not justifying it to myself. Look at what she's doing. It's appalling. Yeah. I can be superior about this. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. But we're taught to be respectful of other people's opinions and we're taught all this, but then when that's not received and then you expect to go, oh, this is me problem. Well, actually, it's not. It's that person's a problem, not me. And they're causing me to be pissed off. And if they follow the suggestions, like I'm following them, then we wouldn't have this problem in the first place. What are you doing, recovery? Fuck off. The F word. Well, it's forgiveness, isn't it? It's that I learn to forgive, even when people are behaving in this appalling manner, so long as I don't. But ultimately, it does come back on me, because how well am I working my programme? Yeah, because if it's making you feel bad in some way. Something I'm not doing right. And this is what I think I spoke about last week or the week before. And it's like sometimes I can feel cornered by the programme. Oh, and restricted by it. Yeah. yeah. Restricted and battered into a corner. And it's like when I was younger, if I felt like I hadn't done something wrong, but yeah, I was told I, I was, and I'd see other people getting away with it. And eventually I'd just rebel completely against everything and just do everything wrong. Yeah, fuck up. I'll do it my way. I don't give a shit. It's that inner child coming out, isn't it? I came off a few WhatsApp groups this week because I'm staying on the ones that I need to be on, like the ones that stuff's being put on there that's productive. For example, like the podcast one. But I've gone down to absolutely necessary and nothing else. I found there's groups of friends that can be on there, but then becomes then a dynamic of who talks to who and what's talked yeah. spoken about, and it's like, well, and your phone keeps pinging. More importantly, yeah, the, the ping, 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 ping. And I feel like I'm distancing myself from people because I'm not classing them as a person, I'm classing them as a group. I prefer to talk to someone on a one-to-one -one basis and get to know them more rather than, OK, let's all talk in a group together and it's just a nightmare. No, I think you're right. The reason why I came off any WhatsApp groups that weren't essential was, one, I don't want my phone pinging all the time. But two, I think it kind of depersonalises your relationships. Yeah. Because rather than talking to and interacting with people, it's just this mechanised thing on a screen. Mm. And you don't know what people are doing while they're posting this. You don't know how people are. You don't really get any sense of human contact, do you? It's a minefield. It's like sitting in a room pretending that you're talking to people, which you're not. Well, then what you're putting on there as well to a particular person, you know, it's in earshot of five other people, for example, and you, yeah. so you're going to even say it in a particular way, knowing that someone else is... I find it very false, so I've come off a few and... I was certainly the better for it when I did it. Oh, yeah, literally, I feel so much light-headed. And I didn't wondering. miss the stuff I'd got rid of. No. Because I thought, well, hang on, these ones I'm actually using, these all have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And the people on these groups, I actually see anyway. So I'm not using these groups for daily conversation with those people. Because these are people that I see and that I interact with on a human level. Whereas some of these other groups, they don't actually serve any purpose other than to make my phone go ping. And I know that sounds a bit brutal. The, but the pinging is just a nightmare anyway, because even... I don't just ping anymore, my body vibrates because my phone's connected to my watch. So Well, I ping and then I put it on silent. And then I miss things that matter. Yeah. yeah. It's all about the use of the phone, though, isn't it? Oh, that's another thing as well, I'm finding the phone itself. I think that's normal, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, phones can do pretty much everything that people need to get done in a day. You don't need to go to the bank anymore. You can do it all on your phone. You send emails and you can contact people if you need to contact people. And I do more on my phone than I do on my laptop now. I don't actually use 
the laptop unless I'm typing something long <laughs> and that's it. I feel like I was kind of forced into using technology that I don't want to use. We have been there, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just a bloody great wave, isn't it? Mm. It's like, you know, people who can do social media and they can do WhatsApp groups. In some way, I envy them, and some ways I don't, because I can't be bothered with it. But, yeah, because like, I can't do it. My stance on WhatsApp groups, I hate them. I've probably left more than I've joined. In our organisation, there was two unity groups that were set up so we could start doing things together oh, right. as a, like, a group of people and like I organised one thing half the people didn't turn up but we went into this one thing and everyone was like oh yeah, well, this is going to be a great start to all this unity and stuff and then from then on that group was just used to just send a name crap at mm. people every fucking yeah. morning and then everyone started falling out there was loads of stuff being posted on there that was inappropriate like really bad taste jokes and stuff like that and two and them both got shut down because people were using them for their own ego really that's yeah. it isn't it ego boosting yeah yeah there's a lot of that isn't there ego yeah. boosting well I actually had to say on the group I set up for this play that I'm directing can we make sure that everything that goes in this group is restricted to what we're doing yeah obviously these are people I'm seeing four times a week because <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. in my rehearsals but it's almost like it's a habit when people are in a WhatsApp group, they assume that it's just a license to fill it with shitty memes. And it's a habit thing. It's not that they're deliberately trying to divert no, the no. attention of the group, it's no. just that that's what people do. Mm. And that's what social media has made us do. And it's made us communicate in this certain way. Very well, I duck out of that, you know, I don't want to be part of that. And when I do that, I have to question whether I'm self-isolating even from groups I feel sometimes oh am I being a stick in the mud am I not being part of and am I trying to be different and so I'm questioning myself but really if I get a result a positive result from coming off them which I have done I feel more relaxed less anxious then it's got to be done regardless of what is actually going on if I'm feeling better by not doing it then I'm all right with that I've been accused of thinking I'm better than people because I left those groups. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm like, no, it's not. It's because it makes me paranoid. Because you keep posting bloody thoughtful memes at 7 o'clock every fucking yeah, morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sick of these insipid comments you keep putting on there about recovery is a journey. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> if I want to look at that stuff, I'll look at Facebook because it's all over it like a rash. Recovery is borrowed. No, recovery is loaned. You have to pay rent every day. That's all sorts. Don't. Just some computer somewhere. Just <laughs> Verbal diarrhoea by computer. It's like those things from Ikea you see in people's houses. Live life, laugh and all that crap. Like yeah. just that. <laughs> Friends are like wings. They hold you up when you're down. <laughs> like they're not like wings because they're not attached to my back and they don't flap up and down. They keep you up when you're down. <laughs> well, I had an interesting weekend. Halfway through said weekend, one of my teeth collapsed. There's not much of it left. That's and there's a bit of grey filling visible. But the outer casing's pretty much gone. At the back, but not at the front. So it looks like it's still there. And then I rang the dentist and they said, Oh, we can see you on the 6th of September. I thought, oh, right, so what do I do between now and then? Am I allowed to eat? What am I allowed to eat? 
And of course, I went into overdrive. What's it mean? What's it? It's going to get infected. I'm going to get swelling. I'm going to get septicemia. I'm going to get all sorts of poisoning. And of course, then they said, well, try gargling with salt water. And I thought, oh, I knew that anyway. Mm. Because I went into crazy overdrive on everything that could go wrong. Because it was one of those things. And it happens. And it's also because it's the first time I might be going to lose one. Because as we speak right now, I've actually got all my teeth. Yeah. This is the first one that I'm about to lose. So this in the back of my head is, oh my God, what are they going to do? They're going to get a hammer so they can whack some stump in and put something over it. Oh God, no, I don't want to go through that. They ain't going to do that. Just going to wrench it out and you're going to have a gaping gap between your teeth. Because I had all of my teeth throughout my using, throughout my drinking. And then when I started going to the dentist, when I was sober, he says to me, I've got to have a tooth out. Hang on a minute. I've gone through the last 20 years drinking and smoking crack and this and the other. I'm fine. And now I'm sobered up and you want to take a tooth out. So I've got a gap there, which is one from the back to Well, didn't they offer you a thing to put in it? No. Didn't you ask? You know what it was? It was probably... What did they put in there? Put Put like a little false... Like a denture, but it was just with one single... That's to get the roots out and everything. They pulled it all out. There's not. I should have dentures because all all my teeth at the bottom are, are gone. Like my wisdom teeth grew underneath into all the teeth next to it, and my, all my teeth collapsed. I was having pain for a long time. Went to dentist, said yeah, there's nothing wrong. And then a couple of years later, it all just went. Yes, yeah, so I'm supposed to wear dentures. I lost them during addiction. <laughs> you take it in and out. Yeah, yeah. You can have an implant, which is like a little metal thing. My mate did have his teeth kicked out, so he's got implants in the front. On the NHS? Yeah, but this was years ago. You used to be able to get gold teeth on the NHS. You can't get gold no, teeth on the NHS. Not anymore. Though. However, you can still get something. Yeah. I think I need to sign up to the NHS and deny because of how long it was going to take, I had to go private. And well, that costs a fortune. And that's probably why they didn't put the tooth in. I'm surprised. If the NHS will do a basic thing. But if you want, like, gold or whatever, then you have to pay for it. I'm fully expecting that he's going to say to me, oh, right, we'll have to do this, do that, and then excavate, and then this. If it's already dead, that's not that big a deal. But, yeah, I just want something there. And if it's just some crappy bit of mock porcelain, then so be it. I've thought about this, because I've got such bad teeth, and I've had abscesses and stuff like that. I used to use like, hot salt water. What we found was better was whiskey or brandy. Well, yeah, it would be. But now I can't do that. That no, be, that's like a relapse in it, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> it's not sort of. Oh, this will work better than salt water. I know. I need a bottle. Oh, I didn't drink brandy. it. I would just swallow it. You don't swallow it, surely. That's yeah, all right. Swallow it around my mouth and just I like, hold it. Over. It was it was great for the pain. As long as you don't swallow it. I mean, I've had profiteroles, which I didn't realise till afterwards. It says contains alcohol, but it's been flamboyed, though, isn't it? You'd think it is a, a moot point that about alcohol and cooking because mm. when it's cooked it's cooked but not everything is completely cooked through with regard to burning the alcohol off it's a bit of a myth that just cooking it means there's no alcohol in it at all they say that don't they like when you're making a sauce something you put red wine in and they say like you cook it off so that doesn't get rid of the alcohol it takes that. quite a lot to cook it off yeah i wouldn't see that as a, a relapse myself I do avoid food with alcohol, and I didn't realise these profiteroles contained alcohol until I'd eaten them. <laughs> I remember opening a can of kombucha, and I could smell it. It was only 0.4 or something like that, and the smell was just... Any yeah, other smell within it, I missed completely, but the actual smell of alcohol was there. 
unmissable. I didn't thought, I can't drink this. I've drunk it since I've been. So yeah, but what we do unknowingly is different. Of yeah. course it is. So what are you drinking? Yeah. Sambuca? No. Kombucha. Oh. If you do something deliberately, that's, yeah, that's you deciding that you want to get pissed or you want to get caned or whatever. But if you unknowingly eat or drink something and it happens to have it in, then that's... If you get yourself a cheeseburger from McDonald's and pay with a note and you don't wash your hands before you eat the cheeseburger, you've got traces of cocaine on you. They say that most notes have got cocaine, cocaine on them, right? But it's negligible, surely. Yeah, it's negligible. It's like, like the preferred role would be, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I also have a, a crucial update on Warrior Nun. It's not going to be a series. New. It's going to be three feature films. Oh. So they're going up in the world now. They're not only <laughs> gone beyond the idea of series three. Three feature films. It's a question of who's paying for them. Do you know what's crazy, though? It's like... You mentioned about Ken, no, Barbie. Yes. Barbie the other day. And then a friend of mine says, what are you doing? Do you fancy watching Barbie with another someone else? And I actually went to watch it. Yeah. So I've seen it's it. It's bloody funny, isn't it? It's funny and it's it's really good. I liked it. I was a little embarrassed by the way they portrayed the men in there, you know, the wanting to look. My job is just beach. My job is beach. Beach. <laughs> what does that entail? No, it's just beach. It's just that's quite funny. It's quite satirical. <laughs> beach. My job is just beach. He does upstage everyone, though, doesn't he? Right, yeah. yeah. Him and Weird Barbie. And he's with, with the two guys. Walking around. And he, he thinks horses are just an extension of men. Men and horses should rule the world. It's funny. Bless him, he's not that bright, is he? He's not bright. No, it's funny that because in terms of these preconceptions we have and these assumptions that we make, mm. your initial reaction to Barbie was typical of a bloke of a certain age, but also typical alcoholic response. <laughs> Why? I was what? Mo- it's going to be rubbish. It's for girls. It's, I was mortified. And even at the beginning, I was like, what have I done? What on earth have I done? <laughs> and there was me being terrified of being called out by three-year-olds in the audience. <laughs> uh, there was What's only that old, old man doing it? The older generation in there. More old ladies. Depends when you go with mm. cinema, doesn't it? I always choose to go in the day because it tends to be older people. And I found out that I paid £10 for the ticket and I had to pay an extra £5. I could have free cinema for a month. <laughs> Not till afterwards, though. Oh, dear. But it was good, I liked it. I remember when you said he took you out of the real world for a bit and that happened, you know, I felt at peace because I thought, I'm just in this little crazy Barbie land. And, and I felt That's my justification arrested. for watching junk, for watching pop cult stuff. It doesn't have to be a particularly thoughtful film or anything. There's stuff that I will watch purely because it takes me away for a couple of hours. And that was why I always got on with all those mad action thrillers from the 80s and 90s. Because the scripts are cheesy, (laughs) the plots are ridiculous, but they take you completely away from your life just for a couple of hours. And that's what it done, it was... And unfortunately, there aren't that many films now that are doing that. Do you know it's one of the highest grossing films of all time? Bob has made over a billion at the box office. Absolutely crazy. That's extraordinary, isn't it, when you think about it? And it wouldn't have cost that much to make, surely. Like, it's not one of those... You've got to pay Margot Robbie and... No, she's producing it. She's getting paid twice. She'll be doing the Tom Cruise. What's that? She won't be being paid up front. She'll be taking a percentage. 
Wow. So in terms of what she earns, yeah, it will be astronomical. However, yeah. the cost of the film is lower because she's not asking for a salary oh, in the yeah, first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that Barbie costs that much to make. No. But I know that Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones both cost three hundred million. And when you consider the fact that Tom Cruise doesn't take a salary, he takes a profit thing at the end. That Mission Impossible is bonkers, the amount of money they've spent on it. And Indiana Jones too. And neither of them have made their money back yet. Really? So Barbie has made an absolute killing. It's still going on, it's a juggernaut. And Oppenheimer, that you wouldn't expect to make a billion, has made a lot of money. Because audiences aren't back to the way they were pre-pandemic. Do you find it odd or different going to the cinema sober? You must have done the thing I did, Ronnie, going in there with a bottle. Oh, yeah. I'd done everything. I would go and get my hair cut and I'd be pissed and I'd have a bottle in my bag while I was waiting. It was constantly on me all the time. There was never a time I didn't have alcohol on me. If I didn't have any, I wouldn't be calm, I wouldn't be relaxed, I wouldn't be at peace, I'd be like, where on earth I'm going to get my next drink from? I mean, it was just balmy, but it was the first time I've been to the cinema sober, and do you know, I didn't notice. First time? Yeah. Wow. Well, obviously, when I was a kid, I was going to cinema, but since I've sobered up and come out, gone into recovery, it's the first time. Because we do a lot of I was things. nervous. Yeah. I get this anxiety... My anxiety and coming all, all areas. I was sitting there with the people that I went with, and I was watching the film, and I felt like I should be saying something to them. I should be speaking to them. I mean, I'm in the middle of a film in a cinema. You don't speak, do you? Mm. Not necessarily, but I thought, should I be saying something? I feel like I'm just sitting here very quiet. That was the only odd thing that happened to me. But have you had it happen with anything else doing for the first time sober? I went to a rave. Yeah, I remember you saying a couple of months ago. That was really difficult. At the beginning, and then just when I finally melted, as in the ice melted, I loved it, absolutely loved it. I find a lot of things that I'm doing for the first time sober really strange and odd and uncomfortable. And for me, it's more about how I behave. I'm very conscious, paranoid. I mean, I was paranoid, nervous, wreck when I come out of the treatments. I found it very difficult to begin with doing familiar things. For some reason, it all felt overwhelming to begin with, and it all felt more difficult than it ought to have been. And over time, that's dissipated completely, but everything just seemed like a mountain in terms of doing stuff that was unfamiliar. Remember the first time I went to the cinema sober? My shenanigans over Barbie and nothing compared to the way I was over that. Checking the time every half an hour to check they hadn't changed it. Getting there an hour and a half early to get the ticket because I might not get a seat in there because it might be so popular at that particular time that there'd be a load of pensioners getting in the way and I wouldn't be able to see or hear the film. Bonkers. It is bonkers, isn't it? I mean, luckily I went to the last minute. I was asked to go at two o'clock and the film started at half two. Was no it? time to think. No time to think. Just Then he showed a finding parking refused to pay in that ballroom it's too expensive so I was finding some dodgy little side alley someone they have to walk really fast to get to where I'm going <laughs> what do you think are the most important things we have to do for the first time doing them sober what are the most important kind of day to day things that we have to get through as recovering people because we were talking last week about what it was like at the beginning of recovery as opposed to what it was like at the end of addiction building relationships for me yeah, mm, just definitely. getting on with people and trust. 
Trust is massive. Big thing. Massive. Finding a sponsor. God, it's like asking a girl out. Yeah. When you're 13. I don't know what to say. Oh, he's probably going to say no. The whole going to meetings and talking to people. Well, people, full stop, yeah. I found. How do I talk to these people? I can't just blag and bullshit my way through. I'm supposed to be having a conversation here and it all feels incredibly stilted. I know, I'll go and hide in the corner. I feel like I'm building up Babrius again around... Because when I came into recovery, I did start to trust people quite quickly. Because I was told you can trust, start to learn to trust people. And then a few little incidents have happened throughout my recovery and it only relates to one, maybe two people. But all of a sudden I'm now like, I distrust everybody. Everyone's got an agenda. Everyone's up to something. Recovery's actually not as it seems. It sounds bleak and I know it isn't the case and stuff, but everyone's in it for themselves and no one really does actually care about anyone. And, you know, we'll go through them kind of stages. I still have that little bit of disbelief when someone actually trusts me. I mean, a lot of the trust stuff has got easier over time and I don't instantly bulk when I need to trust someone with something these days. Not in the way that I did in the first couple of years, first three years. And the dealing with people, I find it much easier if I've got a reason to speak to them. And sometimes if I haven't, I'll try and let them talk instead. But I know what you mean, Ronnie, about putting barriers up mm. again. Because it ebbs and flows. You get through this point where you've broken a few barriers down and you're managing to do the functional stuff. But then in the same ways, we're always expecting something to go wrong or something to turn up that's so insurmountable that we won't cope we do put barriers up again to try and control the way that we interact with people well, I think another thing is creating my own world which needs to be safe and secure before I venture out to do anything new mm. instead of just taking that risk or having faith in God I've now started to care more about my security where I'm living money security jobs you know all that kind of stuff is now becoming like I feel like I'm now running on self will a bit more rather than God's will we all do that from time to time yeah there's a lot of distrust at the minute barriers are flying up have you got reasons for the distrust or is it just the reasons are is because I'm listening to other people and I'm watching other people's behaviours and I'm watching other people say stuff about other people and I'm thinking, well, if someone is saying stuff about someone else to somebody else or even to me, then this must be a bit more of a widespread thing. You know, people talking about people behind their backs, people having opinions about people, my name being brought into stuff, which is like, and I'm saying, I don't care if somebody talks to me in a derogatory way to somebody else. It's not a big thing, this isn't, but it's just some, a few little bits that have happened. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I have to rely that that other person's doing a, a program because if they're doing a program, they ain't going to listen to what you've got to say about me because they're going to be going, you, well, you're just a gospel. So I'm relying on everyone else running the perfect program, which they won't, for it to all run smoothly. And then this happens to me every now and again, once probably every six months, and it builds up, and I feel like I'm losing control, and then suddenly I'll give up, and then the peace, the storm will go, and I'll go, I'm not in control of any of it. Me and someone I live with got into a big argument a few weeks back. And his way of deflecting his behaviour was to say that I'd been bullying someone in another house. I lived it. And uh, he goes to a different fellowship. So as soon as he says that, I was like, on the phone, right, 
this is what guy said this. I was texting loads of people who know this guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, have you heard as he said this? As he said this? They're all like, no, I don't know anything about it. Yeah. But from this person that I lived with, he's saying, oh, yeah. Because I, I asked him, I said, who's told you that? And he wouldn't tell me. That was a bit of like, the straw that broke the camel's back. I was struggling a bit around people generally. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as he said that, I was like, right. Because I'm so guarded the way I am and stuff people think i'm quite abrupt sometimes mm. i don't know if i come across that well sometimes but uh, i mean well and i'm very introverted and that's why i don't talk to people so much mm. it's not because i think i'm better or i'm just quiet yeah and people can get that mixed up with you want to be different you believe you're better than really actually for whatever reason it's different for everyone could be mental health issues it could be social anxiety which is mental health as well you know it could be any reason it could be just say you're just a quiet person and you don't like going around yakking to people i go through stages where i'm very quiet but i find that if i want to be in a quiet place i, I tend to just not go anywhere but then there's times i want to be talking to people and i want to be a bit of the loud ones running around yeah, hello hello and all that business i don't know why i go through those stages i'm up and down it's yeah. different I wake up in the morning and I have to check what one is it going to be today. <laughs> is it going to be one that wants to go out? Is it one, one that doesn't want to know anyone? Is it one that wants to have a try and communicate with people and get on with people? I'm questioning, I'm checking. It's okay for all those things to coexist. Yeah. And I do think that being quiet is often misinterpreted for being arrogant or for being standoffish or for isolating. You know, not everyone wants to talk all the time and not everyone wants to be a gossip. And it's frequently the gossips that will zone in on someone who's quiet. Yeah. So, oh, look at him. Oh, he thinks he's better than us, doesn't he? Doesn't say anything. And then he shares for a bit in the meetings if he knows it all. But, of course, they haven't heard what you shared at all. They haven't been listening to what you shared at all. They're just fixated on the fact that you'll do this, but you won't be like them. Mm. And it's a pack mentality that, unfortunately, can develop, particularly in early recovery. Groups like hyenas and that's what it's like particularly it? outside meetings and I find if you're in a group and there's one person within that group who you fall out with or you are not getting on with it can go one of two ways I can be the person that tries to turn that person into the bad apple or that person can infect yeah. the rest of the group and that's why I like to keep my friendship individual and not as part of a group that's why I've come up WhatsApp groups and stuff it is hard sometimes but then if I get to the point where it's just getting too much, like I say, I normally, you know, people have breakdowns and then they come out of it and they're fresh. It's obviously not a breakdown, but it's just like a little surrender. And sometimes I need that. Oh. Trying to control the show, isn't it? But not in a way that you're gaining from it. It's just trying to control the show to keep it at a level playing field. And even that is still controlling. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to gain from me, I just want to... A hell of a habit to get out of as well. Yeah. We still have agency over our own lives, mm. you know. It's not like we just sit there and wait for that higher power to just materialise, <laughs> you know. Well, the higher power that miraculously does everything for you. Yeah, yeah, just goes to the shop for me. When I like the guy who said, I don't need a sponsor, I've got God. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Archangel Gabriel's going to turn up with me shopping in a minute. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Archangel Dave is digging a hole in the garden for me from my pond. I've never heard of the Archangel Dave. Oh, yeah, you've not met them all then, have you? There's a gang of them. They ride about on push bikes. 
it is important to always talk about the stuff that we have to do because we're in recovery because we don't want to get ill again mm. and this involves us acknowledging the fact that we are defective human beings and that we go through these phases of isolating with video or I don't want to speak to anyone apart from individually there are things that perhaps other people might find weird or idiosyncratic yeah. in us mm -hmm. but we need to do them because our primary focus and our primary purpose is one to stay in recovery and two to help other people to stay in recovery mm -hmm. and if that's the way we need to do it then we do it well other people's opinions are a very dangerous thing aren't they yeah 100%. Especially when I'm trying to keep it simple. Because if I'm trying to keep it simple, what's the immediate complication I'm always going to get? Someone else. Someone else. Mm. Someone else who's decided that I'm not being reasonable, even though I've got no idea what they're talking about because I haven't spoken to them for months. Is it what they say, stick with the winners? Yeah. But don't you think that sorts itself out on its own if you do the right things? Most things do sort themselves out. As long as you do the right thing, most stuff will just fall into place. Doing the right thing each and every given moment, it does. But then I find sometimes I get disappointed by somebody else because I think, well, if you was doing an honest program, we would get on, and I want to get on with you. Yeah. But unfortunately, I don't, and I'm trying to hold on to something that isn't working, and that's because you're not working a program. Because if you worked a program properly, we would get on more. And I used to get on with you. And I don't want to lose that friendship. That sort of stuff comes up as well. You get into those relationships where the person just yeah. wants you to co-sign. Yeah, co-sign the shit. shit. And it becomes difficult because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but you've got to find the right words to tell them that they're actually wrong. Yeah, and also, I'm not your hostage. Because that's what we do. We can end up doing it in recovery too. We can end up taking hostages. But it's a question of what we do about it when we realise we've done it. I wonder what those people in the real world world get up to. Ding. What do you mean? They don't have these. Get the thing is, they do have all of this. They do have all this stuff to deal with. But some of them have got an ill-built mechanism for not being affected adversely by things that go wrong. Some of them have uncovered the way to live in a reasonable way. There are other people you meet who are normies who are the same, who don't get phased by everyday events to the point whereby they want to kill someone. <laughs> but the reason why it's so dangerous for us is because the end of that road is a drink or a drug. And once that's happened, we're into the lottery for, am I going to be alive when I get back, if I get back to a recovery process? So do you think we're just all hypersensitive addicts and alcoholics? I think there is a high degree of sensitivity amongst addicts and alcoholics, yeah. yeah. Do you think that we've born with that, or, is, or the drink has done that to us, and the drugs? But that's the question. Chicken and the egg question. I do believe that there are certain things which are noticeably exacerbated by alcohol and drugs. Anxiety, certainly. And yeah, sensitivity. But I wouldn't want to offer a direct opinion on whether it's in, in us to start with. Them. Well, I know The only thing I believe about what's in us to start with is that we've got a switch that normies haven't. And when I pick the drink up the first time, that switch goes click. Yeah, that physical. If I'd never picked a drink up, that switch would never have been activated. But as soon as I did it, click, and I was gone. And the only way to arrest that was to come through the process I've been through. It is important that we talk about the fact that we're still defective and we still have all these thought processes going on all the time. It's not a matter of I just go for rehab for 
four weeks or six months or whatever, and then suddenly I'm fixed. But fixed back to what? So like you were talking about this the other week, Ronnie, about emotional stunting. What am I being fixed back to? I've got to learn to live as an adult. And yeah, normies do have all these problems, but they have different ways of dealing with it. Some of them have it built in, I think. They intuitively know how to handle situations. <laughs> no, they don't react to things. Well, we've made time, and I've only managed to mention Warrior Non once. If you've heard anything that's resonated with you concerning yourself or anyone else, someone you know, someone you don't know, someone who lives on your street, wherever, then do not hesitate to reach out. You can Google recovery, you can Google AANACA and all sorts of other 12-step fellowships, because there's a lot of them now, and if in doubt, pick up the phone and speak to a person. That's why things like the helplines, the fellowships were started. So with that, we will be back next week. Indeed, we'll be back next week with an interview. With an interview. So we will look forward to that. And it's good night for me, and thank you, gentlemen. And good night for me.